0: Hello everybody and welcome to the Speaking for Him podcast. My name is Andrew Gamson. I am your host as always, and I'm excited to share with you another great episode. I hope that you enjoy this and that you will share it with your family and friends. That's how people get to know about our content and even more people can be encouraged on this journey that we call the Christian life. If you've been listening for any length of time, you know that we've been talking about um some heresies and false teachings that have been taking place in the modern church. But we're going to take a one week break from that. I do have a couple more installments to do. But we're going to take a one week break from that and talk about a movie that I had the chance to see over the past week. It's called The Jesus Movie, and it's about the history of Christian music. And I was really fascinated by this documentary, I enjoyed it immensely. And, you know, there there were some things that I didn't like about it. I'm going to be fair and honest with you in my review. And so I look forward to digging into that with you. But before we get to that point, I want to share with you what is going on. Today I have a few very interesting things to share with you. The first one is one that I kind of just stumbled on this morning. You know, uh, there's a radio show that I listen to called The Wally Show, and they often talk about inspiration that you find in the most unlikely places. And I was just scrolling around Facebook in preparation for this podcast, and I stumbled upon uh, this clip from Matthew McConaughey talking about his Christian journey.
1: Our body has many parts. It has limbs, organs, and cells. But no matter how many parts we can name, we are still one body. It's exactly the same with Christ. By means of His one Spirit, we all said goodbye to our partial and piecemeal lives. We each used to independently call our own shots. But then we entered into a large and integrated life in which He has the final say in everything. This is what we proclaimed in word and action when we were baptized. Each of us is now a part of his resurrection body, refreshed and sustained at one fountain, his spirit, where we all come to drink. The old labels that we once used to identify ourselves, labels like Jew or Greek, slave or free, are no longer useful. We need something larger, more comprehensive. Let's take a moment to think about how this makes all of us more significant and not less. The body isn't just a single part blown up into something huge. It's all the different but similar parts arranged and functioning together. Think about it. If foot said, I am not elegant like hand embellished with rings, I guess I don't belong to this body. Would that make it so? Of course not. And if ear said, I am not beautiful like you, I, limpid and expressive, I don't deserve a place on the head. Would you want to remove it from the body? I mean, if the body was all eye, how could it hear? If the body was all ear, how could it smell? As it is, we see that God has carefully placed each part of the body right where he wanted it. Now, let's also think about how this keeps our significance from getting blown up into self-importance. For no matter how significant we are, it is only because of what we are a part of Think about it, an enormous eye or a gigantic hand would not be a body, it would be a monster. What we have is one body with many parts, each its proper size and in its proper place. No part is important on its own. Can you imagine the eye telling the hand, get lost, I don't need you hand, or the head telling the foot, you're fired, your job has been phased out. As a matter of fact, in practice, it seems to work the other way. The lower the part, the more basic the part of the body, the therefore more necessary. And think about it, we can live without an eye, for instance, but we cannot live without a stomach. When it's a part of our own body we are concerned with, it makes no difference whether the part is visible or clothed, higher or lower. We give it dignity and honor just as it is without comparisons. And if anything, we seem to have more concern for the lower parts our body than the higher. I mean, think about it. If we had to choose, wouldn't we prefer good digestion to a full head of hair? Yeah, that's debatable. (laughs) I mean, hang on, I can handle a little indigestion, but come on. been working on this hairline for a while. God, give me a break on that one. The way God designed our bodies is a model for understanding our lives together in society as well as in the church. Every part dependent on every other part. The parts we mention and the parts we do not mention. The parts we see and the parts we don't see. If one part hurts, every other part is involved in the hurt and in the healing. If one part flourishes, every other part enters into that exuberance. We are Christ's body. That's who we are. We must never forget this. Only as we accept our part... Of that body does our part mean anything?
0: I just thought that was extremely profound, and it really goes hand in hand with a lot of what we've talked about on the show, all the way back to several months ago when I did the In His Image documentary review, and we talked about the importance of men and women. Why are they important? Because God created them. I think we can tie that into this because Matthew is saying here that we are created for a purpose. If we tell God that we are not satisfied with the way we are made, we are second-guessing our very creator. And, And I really like the way Matthew McConaughey laid that on the line for us. I really feel like a lot of confusion would be cleared up Um, both in the world and in the church, if we would just embrace that. If we believed God that he created us, and we believed God that he had a purpose for us, and we believed God that living in that purpose is the best place and way to live, we would be better served in all of our life. And so I just wanted to share that little piece of encouragement from Matthew. Matthew, It's really nice to be surprised in that way uh, when you're just simply um, surfing through the web and to know that the truth is still getting out there and you don't have to be an unknown to believe and embrace the truth. There's a lot of chaos out there today and it's because we have decided to embrace our individual truths. I liked what Matthew said earlier in the clip too, where he he says you can't have a corner on the truth. The truth is not something for you to claim for yourself. It is merely something that you can share for the edification of others. So I encourage you to check out the full clip. Again, I will have that on my blog. All right. From there, we go to a clip from, fox news where we are going to talk about more cancellation
2: welcome back to the big saturday show halloween going from trick or treat to woke and weak equity concerns canceling halloween festivities at school in both michigan and seattle public schools in east lansing michigan also canceling valentine's day notifying parents in a letter A principal telling Fox News, quote, each year alone with the fun of Halloween parties and parades, we also have students who families do not celebrate or feel comfortable with their children participating in Halloween festivities. Valentine's Day is another day in which school parties and the exchange of Valentine's cards lead to unintended consequences. Let me go to my friend, Laura. Laura, you're a mom. Just imagine your your kids brought home a letter like this your reaction as a mom
3: Oh, my gosh. I think it's so ridiculous. I actually can't believe this story is real. Halloween is something that we all enjoy. The kids are dressed up. They get candy. My goodness. But I think (laughs) the bottom line here is that there are people who want us divided. They do not want any shared traditions among Americans. They do not want us to be able to relate to each other in any way at all. And so they're canceling Halloween. They're canceling Valentine's Day. Can we keep Anything in America, please. uh, My kids personally are excited. They're dressing up as a lizard and a butterfly. So we we got it at our house.
2: (laughs) Great, great, great. Let me go to you, uh, Raymond. Uh, They talk about the kids who are not... Uh, enjoying Halloween are being marginalized and they talk about people of color not enjoying Halloween I love Halloween I enjoyed it all the time What what's the fact are they using or is this some form of subjective mindset of some woke liberal school district what's the mindset Well, it's a very curious
3: um, uh, turn of events. And I agree with you, Leo. Look, I I live in New Orleans. You know, half or 80 percent of the people who celebrate Halloween here are African-Americans. And they say, well, the kids in the school, some of them can't afford to dress up. Well, if they can't afford, why don't you let the whole class make their own masks and let the kids wear that to the parties? But you don't cancel the parties. And but But dig down. It was the racial equity team at the school with no consultation of the parents that identified this problem and decided to kill off the Halloween celebrations. We can't let this go on. You know, Lincoln, when he signed the proclamation making Thanksgiving a national holiday, he did so because he said he wanted to unite the country around shared experiences. So you share a culture as a people that's so important for kids in the school setting. And when Americans are so divided politically and otherwise, we need these moments of national togetherness absolutely. and unity. How dare they take that from these children? And these parents should fight back like polecats and make sure those kids are allowed to trick-or-treat and pass out Valentine cards. That's part of American tradition, and, and there's nothing wrong with it and shouldn't offend anybody, no matter who you are or where you come absolutely.
2: from. Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree with you 100%. I love Halloween.
0: Okay, let me just say, I'm not a huge fan of Halloween. My family and I dressed up until, I think, the year I was 13. And then about that time, my parents started to phase it out for us. And for the last 21 years, we've lived in the country. So we very rarely, if ever, see a trick-or-treater. We usually just kind of ignore what's going on outside our window that night. And it's not that huge of a deal. Um, That being said, however, the tenor of this is just crazy. First of all, let me say I never used to hear about Michigan in the national news cycle. You know, Michigan was just one of these states that never got talked about in the national news. And now thanks to COVID with governor Whitmer and then this cancel culture thing with Halloween and Valentine's day, Michigan is on the minds and the tongues of the people in the national news cycle, which is mind boggling to me. But, To unpack this issue a little bit more, last week I was talking to you a little bit about Halloween because there was an issue of people being concerned about cultural appropriation. And we talked a little bit about how that could be possible and also how there might be a little bit of, or if we're really honest, a lot of bit of overreaction on this issue of cultural appropriation. So now we're back to talking about Halloween and also Valentine's Day. Let me just say this, that I believe that parents have ceded way too much control of the education of their children over to outside forces, particularly in the public education system. I believed this for a long time, and I know that I've been raised by parents who believe this, and people are going to say I'm just parenting my parents, but I've really come to believe this solidly in my own heart and mind and life. But that being said, when you are in a school environment, parents should have the option to opt out of any particular things that make them uncomfortable and say, my child, I don't want them to participate in this, especially if it's something like a Halloween party or a Valentine's party. That should be allowed. But when you fully cancel it, you are you are not allowing other people to enjoy those things. You are penalizing the many because of the views of the few. And here's the craziest thing about it. Did you notice in that story that, first of all, it was mentioned that Abraham Lincoln made Thanksgiving a national holiday because he wanted to unify the country. He wanted Thanksgiving to be a time when we could get together, set aside our differences and and he, he actually went through one of the most polarizing times in American history with the Civil War, brother against brother. And it was his mindset in declaring Thanksgiving a national holiday to do something to unify us, to bring us together as a country. And so it was brought up in this piece by Fox that the people that are going against all of these cultural institutions for America want to pull us apart. I've said for many years, actually, um, unofficially and officially, that America used to be a melting pot. We used to come here with the mind to be Americans. We respected each other's culture, but we understood that a strong country was because we were Americans. And now we're an ice cube fray. We want to come to America, have the benefits of Americans, but we don't want to meld together. We don't want to unify. And so every time something in the cancellation culture vein comes up, that's what's happening. We're pulling apart people. We're creating enemies. We're making people to be less than if they don't agree with us. If you want to dress like someone who isn't in your culture, you're automatically culturally appropriating and trying to be offensive. If you want to trick or treat, you're being unfair to those who can't afford it. This is something that, a creative teacher, a creative school, would find out ways to circumvent this issue. You could go to the Goodwill store and get inexpensive used costumes because kids only wear them for one year usually because they want to be something else and also because they're growing, so you could do that. You could create costumes in class that they would be able to use for Halloween parties. Um, So this idea that it should be canceled because people can't afford it, is just wrong. There's also the factor that the group that came up with this idea to cancel Halloween and Valentine's Day for the racial reason was the Racial Equality Committee at the school. This was not something that was come up with by the school as a whole. This was not something that was run by the parents. This was something that the supposed racial equality police, if you will, came up with on behalf of the school to make things even for the races, which to me, this is another offensive issue because are, are you going to assume that just because I'm black, I'm not well off? That doesn't seem like a wise thing to assume. The thing is, You should not be encouraged to go down to the lowest common denominator. And so often, that's what happens here. God created you in whatever race you're in. You should embrace that. You should be thankful for the beauty of God's color palette across creation. But you shouldn't use your color as an excuse not to succeed? What does that say about the Denzel Washingtons of the world who are successful actors? What does that say about President Barack Obama who became the first black president we ever had? I find it ironic that we just, in the last two decades, have experienced the first black president and the first black vice president that we've ever had, and yet we somehow are the most racist country on the planet. That does not make any sense. In the book of Acts, it says that we are all one race and that we are created by God and divinely made by him. We need to get back to that way of thinking. And yes, you may need to be creative about the way that you approach these holidays the way that you approach these celebrations um like don't have a a a secret santa with a 20 dollar limit when you know that some of the kids in your class can only afford five dollars you know that that's a creative way to deal with discrepancies in income level or other factors but the, the, the answer is not to cancel these things. Again, canceling these activities takes away the discussion. And we need to have more discussion on these things, not less. And again, this is not a defense for Halloween. Um, I fully agree with you if you don't want to have anything to do with Halloween for your family. All that I am saying is that if you are offended by Halloween and you don't want to participate you should opt out but you shouldn't expect everyone else to not do the thing that you don't want to do and i think that's the one of the biggest problems that we have in our culture today is that we say if i don't agree with this then no one should do it and i think we need to to get back to that we need to show love to one another we need to respect people's differences and learn to coexist with them. Is that the same thing as totally agreeing with them? Absolutely not. The fact of the matter is that disagreement equals hate in today's culture. If I disagree with your lifestyle, that means that I hate you when in fact, actually it doesn't. What I attempt to do every week on this podcast is to show you the way that Jesus wants us to live our lives. Now, I'm not perfect at this either. I have failings and I make mistakes. But the reason that I bring these things up, the reason that I talk about immutable truth is that it's only by embracing the truth that we can reach our full potential. That's essentially what Matthew McConaughey was saying in the clip that we played earlier, which is which is one reason why it resonated so hard with me because of the things we've been talking about. Because all of these heresies, all of these misuses of biblical text and and the wrong applications of biblical truth, they all come from a place of not acknowledging that God is who he says he is, that he doesn't change, and that he has a right to say the things that he says about the way that we live our lives. Today we are doing something a little different on the podcast than we have the last several weeks. We are actually doing a movie review of a movie called The Jesus Movie. And I, as a music fan, was pretty excited to hear about this movie. And because I've watched other music documentaries, but I've never actually seen Christian music dealt with in this type of documentary form. And so I was really excited to see the movie. And it's actually kind of interesting um, that this movie um, came out of the pandemic um, because it was hard to make any other type of films. And all of the singers featured were, were at home at the same time in the Nashville area where the Irwin brothers live. So this was not something that could have happened in almost any other time in history. So when the devil thinks that he's throwing a monkey wrench and causing a bunch of things to go wrong, God can still bring good out of it. So here is the trailer for the Jesus music.
1: I think music is the most powerful language in the world. I've never shared this with anybody.
2: To see the richness
3: of hope land upon someone's spirit via rhythm, rhyme, and melody. Sound. I don't understand it. A lot of hymns are close your eyes singing to God. I wanted to sing with my eyes wide open, singing to each other. This thing, Jesus music, found its way in my hometown. And it changed my life.
1: When it comes to music and how we can express ourselves, we don't have to do it the way it was done before. You want to find
3: a loving way to have these conversations.
2: My generation had seen all of the civil unrest. Most of us were trying to escape the pain and the misery. Where do we go from here?
3: You feel like something's in the wind. This soundtrack emerges. They had no idea they were helping to create an entire industry.
0: I saw contemporary
2: Christian music born right before my very eyes. You don't know you're a pioneer of something when you're doing it. We were just doing what we love. You had grunge, and you had pop, and you had rock, and you had hip-hop.
3: There was so much great music going on. Everything felt
2: so fresh and new. <laughs>
1: what we were doing it said so much across the world it was so much drama
2: in the church every setback there would be a glimmer of hope money cultural influence off the church
3: is bigger than any one person or one artist
2: offers people a sense of hope yeah there was tension. <laughs> dc talks here's the deal
1: I've never shared this with anybody. Would you change anything? Let's not forget, music is God's idea. I think music is the most powerful
3: universal language in the world. Music was a lifeline. It became
1: part of the fabric of who I was. It pushed me to do some courageous things. It touches the soul like somebody talking to you can't. And you can do
3: all of that in three and a half minutes.
0: Okay, so there you have the trailer for the Jesus music. And I'm just going to share our quote of the day as we jump into this discussion. I would encourage any of you that have seen the film to send me your feedback. Let me know what you think about my review. Let me know what you think about the film in general. That would be awesome. Here is the quote of the day, and this is from Andrew Irwin, Andrew Irwin says, For the first time in the history of music, all these artists were off the road at the exact same time. Everyone just started saying, yeah, I want to be a part of that. So again, this was a project that could not have taken place, at least in the form that it took, in any other time than now when everybody was off the road at the same time. There'd be so many overlapping tours. Uh, It's kind of like when I did Pilgrim's Progress. That came together at a special time. Everybody was craving theater, and they said, let's go do Pilgrim's Progress. And as I am trying to put together Anne of Green Gables for a 2022 release, I'm finding it much more difficult to cast and schedule Because everybody's busy schedules happen, but no one can take away the experience that we had with Pilgrim's Progress. So in certain respects, I really relate to this. So I'm just going to start with some general thoughts. First of all, it was very interesting the way they did the documentary kind of starting uh, from the beginning um, in the late 60s, early 70s, um, during the hippie movement, there were there were several hippies that came to know the Lord Jesus and they started writing Christian music because they loved music and they wanted to do music that honored Jesus. And so that's kind of the starting point of what we know today as contemporary Christian music. And then Expo 72, which was a evangelistic crusade, by the Billy Graham Evangelical Association was kind of a major kickoff for contemporary Christian music because they had a six or eight hour music festival associated with it. And so that gave people another opportunity to really see that Christian music could be good, could be enjoyable, and could just be a really blessed time. And then from there, they kind of just went through the decades of Christian music, um, talking about the 70s, 80s, 90s, and so forth. And of course, I resonated with the 80s and 90s most of all, um, growing up with Amy Grant and Michael W. Smith and the like. Stephen Curtis Chapman was one of those. I still have a fond memory of being in the Byron Center Baptist Church Youth Group and being at church in the afternoon, practicing for something. I think maybe we were planning to go to a nursing home service or whatever, and we had some extra time either when we returned from the nursing home service or before the nursing home service, and we just put um, Stephen Chris Chapman's The Great Avenger in the sound system in the back of the church, and we just were on stage singing it together and enjoying that. I remember Amy Grant's El Shaddai, and um, my friend Katie and her friend, I think Holly or Heather, I don't remember which one, maybe both of them, they they sang that song for a um, teens-involved talent show, and they were able to go to a national competition singing that as a um, duet or a trio. I can't remember the details. It's a little sketchy. Uh, on the details, but those were things that were really um, stuck out, stuck out to me. And I really enjoyed those songs. Um, I also used to sit by the radio with a tape deck and a blank tape. And I would record the songs that I wanted to listen to over. If I were to dig through my trunk and other parts of my storage, I would probably find some of those mixtapes And then I'd have to find a tape player to listen to them. But I remember just really resonating with contemporary Christian music. And so um, hearing some of the stories that were put forth really gave me a new and a fresh perspective. Some positive things about this film is just hearing about um, these people that came out of the hippie movement and one guy in particular I forget his name but he said myself and a bunch of other people we had a life-changing encounter with the risen Christ and that's why we had to write new music because we had to share this with the world and I really appreciated that when God changes you you need to share it that's what this podcast was actually born out of too is the need to share the good news with others. And so I really appreciated that. I appreciated hearing the story of the naivete of Amy Grant um, because when she was first coming up, someone called her and said, we'd like you to do a concert for us. It's $300. And she told somebody else, she said, they want me to come and do a concert, but I don't have $300 to pay them to go and sing. And that friend of hers, I think it might have even later been or currently been her manager was like, no, Amy, I think that they want to pay you. And it gave me, um, a renewed, uh, appreciation for people whose music that I didn't have a huge appreciation for and probably never will as musicians, such as the story of Striper, who who said that they, as a family, got saved from watching Jimmy Swaggart in their home and uh many of them got saved together in one fell swoop after listening to him and they talked about how disconcerting it was for him to later hold up a Christian rock album of theirs and decry them as evil from the pulpit and how that caused them to struggle with their faith for a while because Uh, this person that they had looked up to was disparaging them uh, because their music didn't take the form that he appreciated. And from that, I'll just say that I think that you can uh, appreciate someone's genuine faith in God without really appreciating their musical stylings. Like I will never be a proponent or a fan of Christian rock, but I definitely have a new appreciation for Striper Um, Because they were rockers who got saved and then they put Christian lyrics to their rock tunes because rock was what they knew. And so I thought that was an interesting perspective. And um, I just really appreciated uh, the way that they talked about and to so many of the musicians that had a lot to do with my childhood and forming my own faith and my love of music I would have to say negatively the The thing that pops to mind is when the some of the black artists Lecrae, Mandisa and Kirk Franklin were talking about racial inequality in music and I'm not going to say that it doesn't exist at all um, because I'm very naive to the business and if you've been discriminated against you know it's discrimination and I can't tell you that you haven't. But I found it interesting that as they're talking about racial inequality in music, they failed to mention one of the greatest contemporary Christian singers of the 90s in Larnell Harris. Um, and he didn't even get a mention in the movie. They mentioned Andre Crouch, um, but they did not mention Larnell Harris. So I thought that was kind of an oversight. And I, I also think that when it comes to some of this uh, racial stuff, Especially in the church and with music, some of it is cultural. Um, like when I worked at Guiding Light Mission, you know there were there was a black preacher that would come in and after every line he would say, "Can I get an amen?" And I know that he loved the Lord. I know that he loved the gospel, but his preaching style is not a style that I would be comfortable with going to hear every week on a Sunday morning that doesn't take away from who he is as is as a person and it doesn't mean that I hate him or or have any major dislike for him it just means that we have a cultural difference and so I think we need to be careful about respecting cultural differences and not equating a cultural difference with a situation of racism are there racist people in the world? Absolutely, And I think that's one of the struggles is that there will always be racist people. Um, but it's a totally different discussion to say that our culture is in a racist situation in and of itself. The other thing I wanted to comment uh, on this particular topic is when they talked about the scandals within Christian music. Uh, because they talked about such things as um, the divorce of Amy Grant from Gary Chapman, uh, the affair that Sandy Patty had, um, and also the substance abuse problem that Russ Taff had. And one of the people that was on the documentary made the comment that country music fans will be more forgiving than Christians. And I, I thought about that for a minute, and I and I do realize that there is a lot of times when we can be more forgiving when we should be more forgiving but if you dive dive into it a little bit more i think that's another thing we need to be careful about because forgiveness is not necessarily acceptance and what i mean by that is the great the greatest scandal was not that sandy patty had an affair And then went away from Christian music for a while. Repented and came back. The greater issue was that. um, She divorced her husband. And married the man that she had an affair with. That is the greater scandal. Um, When somebody gets a divorce. It's not biblical to get a divorce. Do we understand all the ins and outs of it? No. Um, And I think that. It can be easy to be on the outside looking in and uh, say this is wrong and not really look at the details, and that can be a negative thing. But also, we need to come down on the side of that's wrong because it's wrong, and it's not only wrong because nobody in my family is involved in it. You you know, morals are black and white. And so I think a lot of what is perceived as non-forgiveness within Christian circles, although there is some of that that exists, I think some of it is also just we're not going to accept this as right um, just because we are Christians. Um, because, Because in order to have forgiveness, there has to be repentance. And so I think that's an important thing to bring up. And... Rust Taft's story of overcoming alcoholism after a long road, it came about because people cared enough about him to say, hey man, you're wrong. You need to get on the right track. Um, And if people hadn't been willing to do that, he may have been dead by now. But he had people that were willing to come alongside him and say, this is not right in your life and you need to correct it. And so I think we need to balance those things and not be too quick to say that um, people are simply being judgmental um, when it could just be that they want to make sure that the person gets back on the right track with God and then is restored to fellowship because those are serious issues. I think one of the more interesting parts of the documentary was when Michael W. Smith said, um, we're getting away from the essence of Christian music and we're, we're kind of more about showbiz. So then he wrote his worship album and he said that that really got back to this idea of worshiping God and being thankful to God for who he is and that being primary, which to me was a very interesting perspective Because I have to admit that I have struggled with worship music um, seeming genuine. Because a lot of worship songs seem to be more about working yourself into a frenzy um, than about actually exalting God. And I kind of came to the conclusion watching this documentary that I was making a dangerous blanket statement. Again, it's still something that I will probably never be fully comfortable with since I grew up on the hymns, but that is something that I have been caused to rethink as a result of watching this documentary. I think it kind of humanized some of these people too, because you think of these people as like unattainable stars. um, And then you realize, Hey, they had struggles just like us, Um, you know, and they're just human. um, But God has gifted them and they've had the opportunity to use their platform for his glory. So I think uh, that is probably the biggest thing that I take away from the film um, is just the fact that they, that God uses all kinds of people to honor and glorify him, and Christian music is one venue where that happens regularly. So how would I rate this film? I think I would rate this film with a very solid uh, 4 out of 5. I think I would have liked it a little bit better if it had more of a narrator and really told a little bit more, of a story. Um, I really resonate with that type of a documentary a little bit more than just a bunch of interspersed interviews. So that would have probably ratcheted it up a little bit. Um, there were some singers that we didn't hear from or about very much on the documentary. So some of those being included would have been helpful. Uh, I think it's a very solid offering from the Irwin brothers and they turned the pandemic uh, into a positive, just one of many things that came out of the pandemic that was positive. And so I think that is a really good thing. And um, I would I would encourage you to watch this film when you get a chance. And if you've been a Christian music fan for any length of time, you will definitely find something that you resonate with. In the film. Well that's. My review of the Jesus music. Again you can contact me. With the contact information that's about to roll. At the end of the show. If you have any comments on my review. Or critiques. As long as you keep them cordial. I will accept those as well. And so. With that being said. I just have one final announcement. Before I sign off. And that is that my YouTube channel is back up and running. Um, the first and what I hope will be a long series of speaking from devotionals hit my YouTube channel on Tuesday. And so very glad for that. And it turned out pretty well. So again, go over to YouTube and subscribe to Speaking for him on YouTube, that's speaking the number for him. Subscribe and click the bell. All right, with that being said, I will simply say, have a great week and keep serving the best of masters.
1: Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gamson, founder of Speaking for Him. For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four, H-I-M. You can also interact with us at Facebook.com SpeakingForHim and on Twitter at SpeakingForHim. And when you look for us on iTunes and Stitcher, let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving a rating and review.